is White Sox Weekly, your all-access pass to everything White Sox. Live in the air, deep to right, it is gone! This is a presentation of the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Now here's your host, Connor McKnight. Good afternoon and welcome in to White Sox Weekly. I'm Connor McKnight. Sox fans 2024 ticket plans are available right now. Be here for the biggest matchups and exciting new promotions throughout the season, including opening day on March 28th. Our ticket plans include great benefits such as ticket exchange program, special events, savings on single games, and more. For more information, visit whitesox.com slash 2024. Cactus League play is underway. Spring training has started, and baseball is back. The White Sox lost to the Cubs in Game 1 of the Cactus League schedule yesterday. 8-1 to one the final, but my favorite words to say on White Sox Weekly are that we got a ball game coming up in less than an hour now. Len Casper and Darren Jackson will take over as the White Sox face the Mariners. It'll be Seattle's first Cactus League game. Uh, The White Sox, it'll be their second. We're very excited to bring it to you here on ESPN 1000. I, you know, just kind of, I want to go over the philosophy that I have around spring training games quickly, and then we'll get to a lot of headlines for the White Sox. Unfortunately, a few injuries have crept up. So we'll update you on those, get you set on kind of how that might affect the next couple of weeks of spring training for the Sox. Tim Anderson has signed with a new ball club. He is a member of the Miami Marlins, so congratulations to Tim. We'll talk about that deal and look back just a little bit as well. Since we signed off last weekend, Liam Hendricks has signed a new deal. He's got a contract with the Boston Red Sox and said a couple of things about last year's White Sox that I think bear you know, kind of repeating and a little bit of conversation, especially in light of what I was able to feel around White Sox camp. I was in Glendale very briefly earlier this week. I went down from media day on Wednesday. It's a chance for all the assembled media to get, uh, you know, pictures and things like that for us here in the White Sox radio network. We get a chance to stick a microphone in front of players and have them say, hi, my name is uh, Dominic Fletcher or whomever the person is. Uh, You're listening to the home of the White Sox here on ESPN 1000 and the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. That's that's when we get all of those things. So for me, it's a chance to go down and kind of introduce myself to the new faces. And in this case for the White Sox, a lot of new faces, of course. Um, and a chance to kind of check out camp a little bit. Shorter trip than usual for me, uh, but still an opportunity to go down there. Had a chance to have you know dinner with Len and meet the new White Sox television voice, John Triffin, and all that kind of stuff. It was, it was a great trip, even though it was brief. But I, I was able to, I don't know, take a, take a temperature, I guess, of White Sox camp at that point. You know, kind of Wednesday into, into Thursday prior to the, the first game yesterday. I'll, I'll tell you what I felt, you know, kind of what I understood and what I heard, what I saw around the ballpark, around Camelback Ranch, and get you set from that angle too. But let's go over that first ball game a little bit and kind of my philosophy towards spring training. Generally speaking, I don't concern myself with results from the games. I, I don't think they're very instructive, and I do think that if you go front office to front office and ask the same question, hey, do you care about results in spring training? I don't think many are going to say, yes, we do. There are some exceptions to that. And that's things like, you know, 
good, solid baseball IQ kind of stuff, throwing to the right base from the outfield, making the right decision uh, with one out and a couple runners on. If you're an infielder and you've got, uh, you can go to second, you can go to first. You know, picking a good out, taking the right out, the right play. You know, kind of the the baseball brains of things. You want to you want to make sure that the baseball brains of the operation is still running the way you want it to, especially when it comes to evaluating young players. You know, it's a conversation that Pedro Grafal had with White Sox beat reporters quite often as it regarded Oscar Colas in last year's camp. Unfortunately, it did rear its head during the season, and it was a difficult process in making sure that, you know, Oscar got to the right point of, of making the right decision on the field um, and throwing to the right base and all that kind of stuff. It was a, a difficult learning process, but those are the kind of things I guess you could technically call those results um, that you would be watching for, uh, but not necessarily like an 0 for 4 or a 4 for 4 or um, a, a tough outing where somebody gets you know hit around the ballpark a little bit. And it was that for the first pitcher of the year for the White Sox. Jesse Chavez, long invested veteran, former everything. He went an inning, gave up six runs, walked one, struck out two, gave up a home run. He's got a 54 ERA right now. But as you've probably heard before about spring training, guys go out there to work on things more than anything else. I've heard stories of, you know, guys that I used to cover in spring trainings back in the day where, uh, you know, they'd come out of a start where, thing, where guys got hit or something like that. Guy gets beat around a little bit. And you find out afterward, not necessarily on the record, but you find out afterward, I was only throwing two pitches. I was throwing the fastball in on the hands to right-handers and trying to fade the changeup away from everybody, uh, from all the left-handers or, or, or something like that. Those are the only two pitches I was throwing today. And you can kind of see, and I'm not making excuses or anything for anybody. It's it's not the time of the season where you could even do that. Um, but you could kind of see where if a pitcher was just doing those two things, just trying to place the ball in a certain spot with a certain pitch, that if that got hit, if somebody, you know, I don't know, some some AAA call-up kind of decided, all right, I see what he's doing here. I can rock this pattern a little bit and take him out to right field. Eh, fine, then then so be it. Guy made a good pitch, a good swing, rather, on a pitch he knew was coming. And you don't, as a pitcher or a pitching infrastructure, really concern yourself with that particular result as long as the execution of that particular pitch was done the right way. So just a, a little insight as best I can give you for what spring training is and isn't the things that do matter to me, you know, other things that do matter to me in spring training, obviously, number one, staying healthy. I I just want to see guys stay healthy. And unfortunately, there are going to be injuries throughout. We'll talk about the calf injury to John Brebbia in a little bit. Um, But staying healthy, that's a number one. B, I guess for me is on the pitching side, Velocity and strikeouts, right? I'm not, I don't really even concern myself with command so much. I mean, I guess a little bit. And if you're walking, I don't know, eight out of the 12 guys you face, then yeah, there's cause for concern. But also, we've, you know, for years now, whether it's uh, Lucas Giolito who's gone on to the Red Sox or whether it's, you know, before that Chris Sale or before that Mark Burley. It, it's tough to make the breaking stuff work. Not that Burley threw a ton of breaking stuff back in the day, but you get you catch my drift. In Arizona, it's kind of tough to make some of that stuff work sometimes. So if you're hanging in the middle of the zone, or if that you know Chris Sale slider is just you know he's starting at the spot he wants to start it, but it's fading too much or too little, whatever. I, I don't really worry myself over that kind of stuff. But I like to see some strikeouts. I like to see that stuff kind of working, and I like to see velocity. I want to know. 
that your velocity is where it needs to be. That's why, and we'll talk about Michael Kopech in a little bit, but that's why reports of him being in that 96, 95, 97 range right now in camp is really interesting to me. That fastball really plays, and it's always been a battle for command with Kopech, but it also has been work for him to establish some of the secondary stuff, whether it be a slider or a changeup or, or what have you. It all works better if Michael Kopech is sitting in that 96-97 range. And by all accounts, he does. I'm very excited to see him pitch um, when his day gets scheduled. On the hitting side, I want to see good swing decisions as best I can. And it's not about what you do with that particular contact necessarily for me. I'm going to trust your back of the baseball card when it comes to a veteran playing in spring training. I want to see good swing decisions best you can make them. And those are really the only things I, I truly concern myself with when it comes to spring training. The rest of it is an opportunity for coaches to ask a particular you know, goal from you know, the pitchers like we talked about or a position player. Hey, you know, we really want to see, you know, if, you, if you got a chance to turn two, we really want to see that footwork around second base or we really want to see you, you know, get a good throw off to the cutoff man every single time, what, whatever it is. Um, that that team decides that this player needs to work on in this you know set of weeks, set of games, or what have you. That's that's for the coaching staff and the player to know, and for us to find out later. And I, I just I don't know. I think it's worth kind of resetting our expectations, the external expectations for a spring training as we get here. Because believe me, once spring training starts, you know all of my friends, White Sox fans, baseball fans from every corner, you get texts, you start the the group chat again, your fantasy league pipes up again, and you got chats there going on, and the excitement is there. And for the first, I don't know, week or so, you can kind of trick yourself into thinking, hey, we're, this is this is it, this is a real baseball, this is the good stuff all over again. We're back, baby. And and then you kind of have to remind yourself, no, we're watching something very very different than regular season baseball. The rosters are constructed different. The tasks are different. The rules in the innings are different, right? You can roll things over and all that kind of stuff. So just a a little spring training primer for me. Now, all that said, I do want to go over a couple of results, a couple of things that happened in the game. We saw the White Sox debut of Paul DeYoung. He was 0 for 2. Oscar Colas got in the game. Andrew Vaughn was 0 for 2 today. Not a lot of hits for the White Sox against the Cubs. Just four of them, in fact. Nicky Lopez played a a little bit. Martin Maldonado was in there as well. Tim Elko homered. We're going to do, I think, and maybe we'll even have Tim on the show. We're going to do a Tim Elko conversation here, I think, at some point in spring. Maybe the day, and who knows, maybe he makes the roster. Maybe the day Tim is, um, you know, moved back to minor league camp or something like that. It's an interesting story, and it's something that I... It, there's there's a way of talking about an organizational guy, right? A, a a prospect that is not quite a prospect, but does fill a role for the organization and works his butt off to get the opportunities, and then suddenly starts succeeding, or maybe not even suddenly, maybe constantly over the run of his assignments, succeeds in ways that the scouting report doesn't say he can. A little bit like Tim Elko, and then you're kind of looking at a guy going, "Huh, what do we have here? What's the best use?" For a player like this, how do you get the most out of him? Dominic Fletcher made his White Sox Cactus League debut. He was one for two. We'll talk a little bit about Dominic Fletcher when we come back, in fact. On the pitching side of things, uh, we saw Joe Barlow, Alex Spies, uh, Nick Padilla, Frazier Ellard. Uh, Johan Dominguez had a particularly good inning, uh, a clean slate with two strikeouts in his inning of work. But at the end of the day, 
the White Sox fall to the Cubs 8-1 to in Game 1 of spring training. And like I said, I guess I'll end this segment the same way I kind of opened it with my favorite words. We got a ball game coming up in just a little bit. It's a 2.05 start for the White Sox and Mariners. Len Casper and Darren Jackson will get you right at 2 o'clock. You'll hear the open and, and everything. More White Sox baseball on the way this weekend. You've got more White Sox weekly coming up in just a little bit. Uh, I want to talk about Liam Hendricks and Tim Anderson. I want to talk about Dominic Fletcher, and we'll run through some of the injuries that unfortunately the White Sox are dealing with early on in spring. Oh, and you best believe we're going to be talking about the biggest controversy in all of Major League Baseball right now. The uniforms aren't right, and you can see things that you maybe shouldn't see in a baseball game. It's all very funny right now, and I think it's because we all assume it's going to be fixed by the time opening day comes around, but but then again, maybe it won't. We'll do all of that and more on White Sox Weekly. I'm Connor McKnight. It's ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's home for sports. On app. The ESPN Chicago app. In HD. FM 100.3 HD2. And of course on AM. ESPN 1000. This is White Sox Weekly. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000. I'm Connor McKnight. Stay out of the elements in 2024. Located on the 200 level behind home plate, the Guaranteed Rate Club offers all-inclusive food and beverage, in-seat service, and complimentary parking. Plans start at 20 games. For more information, visit whitesox.com slash GRC or call or text 312-674-1000. Told you as we ended the last segment, there were a couple of things uh, we wanted to get to, both with former White Sox and a brand new current White Sox. So let's start with the new guy, Dominic Fletcher. Had a chance to meet him for the first time when I was down in Arizona just a couple of days ago. Seems like a nice kid. Uh, I mean, most of the guys they brought in are. In fact, maybe maybe that's a better place to start here. The, the vibe in spring training is a very different one for the White Sox over years past. And, I, and I'm not even going to say... That it's necessarily better or or even worse. It's just very different. And you can see the efforts that Chris gets and his new front office and Pedro Grifol and some of the new coaching staff and some of the old guys have kind of have put into this roster making, right? Whether it's new guys like John Brebbia, who we're going to talk about in a sec, uh, or Tim Hill or Dominic Fletcher or Zach Deloche or whomever. Veteran or newbie or rookie or um, you know guy with just a little bit of service time but looking to make his way in the major leagues here, you there is a there's a sense of of, of responsibility here I guess there's a a sense of competition here there's a sense of camaraderie here that exists in a way that feels different than last season. If you saw the television broadcast yesterday, and Len and DJ talked about it quite a bit on the radio broadcast, it's just you know television being a visual medium, you get to actually see the signs that are up there at Camelback Ranch. The play fast, you know, the acronym that, that Pedro Grafal has walked out there for this year's spring training camp, that was on display. You saw kind of the renewed focus of, um, of, of disciplined play out in the defensive side of things. It's no secret that because of the White Sox defensive mishaps over the last two, three, four, five seasons, that Chris Getz has talked openly about it being a difficult sell to pitchers to come to the south side 
because the White Sox weren't playing a very good brand of defense. And that's maybe the number one thing that we've seen Chris Getz and Pedro Grafal, the White Sox, address in the offseason through some of the signings. Now, it's been high-end defensive additions with bats that are somewhere between questionable and needing a rebound, no doubt about it. Um, and, and I guess, you know, some bats in guys like Zach Deloche and Dominic Fletcher who are looking to prove themselves after, you know, either good rookie starts or a, a solid last year at AAA in the case of Fletcher and the former and um, Deloche in the latter. But you are still kind of looking for the bats around this roster to, to prove themselves. And I think we'll begin to see that in spring training. But like I said earlier, I think the proof of it is going to be how the White Sox utilize the, the young bats, some of the veteran depth, and kind of rotate some of those things through early on in March and April and into May. I'll be really interested to see if some of the veteran bats the White Sox have acquired, a guy like Mike Moustakis, in fact, is given a chance to, to earn that roster spot out of camp, get a little hot, and, and let go for a while and maybe upset the apple cart a little bit. I will be equally intrigued by the position battle out in right field. And that's kind of where we, uh, we teased you to start this segment uh, with Dominic Fletcher and the rest. It looks like in listening to Chris Getz talk, there was kind of like, um, you know, cactus league media day. Uh, the night I, I left spring training, the white Sox general manager, Chris Getz talked about Dominic Fletcher having a leg up on the right field job. Uh, he told reporters, Vinny Duber of CHGO Sports being one of them, that, that Dominic Fletcher probably has the chance, uh, better than others, to earn his first opening day start. At least that's what it seems like. Fletcher's the guy that you know kind of gives me the biggest eyebrow raise, I think. Well, that's interesting, you know, because of what he was able to do. Um, in just a couple of at-bats, I guess it was more than a couple, um, but in a, a decent amount of at-bats, almost a month worth of work for the Arizona Diamondbacks last year, Fletcher played really well. And to the point where when he was sent down, you heard a lot of White Sox, White Sox fans, Arizona Diamondbacks fans, whether it be online or elsewhere, you know, kind of going, hey, what, what, why are we bringing Dominic Fletcher back up to get a look? Now, obviously, the Diamondbacks have an incredibly crowded outfielder with uh, outfield rather, uh, with guys like Corbin Carroll and Alec Thomas and Dalton Varsho, and, and the list goes on. So Fletcher is kind of the young guy squeezed out. Fletcher played in 28 games last year for the Diamondbacks, hit 301 with a 350 on base and a 441 slugging percentage. And when he got sent down, it was after you know a couple of games where the struggle you know really kind of started for him. Uh, lefty bat, five foot eight or so, you know, smaller outfielder. In the last little bit of May. The Diamondbacks were out on a road trip. It was a long one. They played Oakland, then they were at Pittsburgh. Uh, then they traveled from Pittsburgh to Philadelphia. You know, so a good number of games on the road, nine in total, nine-game road trip, and Fletcher hit 167 over those nine games. Got himself 36 at bat, too, so it wasn't necessarily a, a small sample. Uh, but that really cooled him off um, from what was otherwise a, a torrid start to his major league career. He got sent down, didn't come back up until very late in June and played a couple of games in July. Uh, just kind of filling in um, for another injury that had happened. I believe Corbin Carroll was dealing with his shoulder injury at that point, so he had come back up. I, I could have that wrong, but either way, it's, it's somewhat immaterial to the point here. 
What Fletcher provides is a high contact rate, a very good on-base percentage, and the question that we'll look to answer in 2024 is just how much pop Dominic Fletcher can bring to his plate appearances. It's, it's never been a huge calling card for Fletcher, but as a corner outfielder, it is something that you're going to want to see him provide, right? The defense seems good, uh, maybe even better than that, certainly above average and, and maybe on his way to good. His highest home run total in the minor leagues was 15 in a season at AA Amarillo, most of it at AA Amarillo. He did get to the majors, uh, rather to AAA a little bit in 2021. Um, but that was, you know, 15 is a good number. It's not a great number. It's always difficult to just take that number and then slap it onto what you'd maybe do in a full major league season. Um, but Fletcher has gone through a little bit of a swing uh, revamp, not much of one, but a little bit of one to maybe get more lift. I'm really interested to see whether Dominic Fletcher or if Dominic Fletcher wins this job outright, as, as Chris Getz kind of gave him uh, a leg up to do. We'll be really interested to see if he can outperform some of the projections because the White Sox have something um, that Dominic Fletcher's never had in his career, and that's an opportunity to play a whole lot of baseball. Fletcher's had to beat out a lot of talented outfielders in that Diamondbacks organization, and with Josh Barfield now part of the White Sox organization coming over from Arizona, you know, it's, it's almost like a hand select. You know, it's like, hey, listen, this guy's blocked. He's not going to make it. And I think he's got what it takes. And Getz talked about this some too with that Cactus League media day about Fletcher having the the makeup, right? The, the, the mental goods to kind of push his way through that crowded outfield in Arizona, not being able to do so, but being a guy that with a scenery change could absolutely take advantage of that and run with it. It was good to meet him for the first time. He was certainly uh, palling around with a good group of White Sox, at least when I saw him, and we'll see, I think, a lot of Dominic Fletcher in spring. I think he has the um, the Oscar Colas track that we saw last year, right? Oscar was given just about every opportunity to play out there in right in last year's spring training. Um, he was all but anointed as kind of that opening day right fielder uh, by then general manager Rick Hahn. And, and while this is different than that, and there are some veterans that can fight for that playing time, uh, it, it seems like this is going to be a year where the White Sox ask Dominic Fletcher to show him everything they got and see exactly what he can bring to the table. Now, two other things that I wanted to catch up on, essentially, were news of, of former White Sox players. And I want to start with White Sox, former White Sox shortstop Tim Anderson. It's even difficult for me now. It's, it's, he signed a deal with the Marlins. A one-year, $5 million major league deal. Um, it was, it's, Tim was slated to make $14 million with the White Sox. That was the option. So to go and, and kind of have to take that salary cut, go from a, a $14 million, I guess he makes $6 million next year because the White Sox paid him a $1 million buyout. So it's six for TA. Still to have to go from that spot, a, a top-tier shortstop, at least offensively in this league, to taking that one-year $5 million deal um, to, to perhaps you know, play a little second base, play a little shortstop with the Marlins. It's, it's going to be an interesting one to see how T.A. kind of makes it shake. I, and I said this when, when Tim had his option turned down by the White Sox and it seemed like they were moving on for sure. I would not bet against a rebound for Tim Anderson. I really wouldn't. I think when you boil together or you kind of brew together all of the things that made last year and even the year before um, 
a difficult time for Tim and this roster and this White Sox organization um, on or off the field. It, it was just, it was a really tough couple of seasons for Tim. And, and his ability to succeed the way he did speaks to the kind of guy he is. You're not going to hear anybody talk about Tim Anderson in any other terms than being a great teammate and a guy that wants to win. And you saw on the field, whether it was the you know the fight with the Guardians and Jose Ramirez or anything else, you saw that guy, that reputation, um, crack a little bit. So I'll be very interested to see you know the reunion with Jake Berger in in Miami. Um, I'll be very inter- I'll be rooting for Tim Anderson. Quite frankly, I, I think most people in baseball will, save for select members of the Royals or I guess former Royals now. Um, but it's it's going to be um, it's going to be tough. It's going to be very interesting. I think. Uh, shocking to see Anderson in a Miami Marlins uniform. And uh, I don't know, just speaking for myself, I'll, I'll be rooting for him um, and hoping that he can help the Marlins make a playoff scenario uh, again in 2024. Now, the other guy that has signed a deal since we last talked on White Sox Weekly is Liam Hendricks. Thought that we might get that deal going into the show last weekend. We didn't, but now we do. And he said a couple of things about last year's White Sox team that I do want to bring up some and kind of because I, th- I think we have, you know, what I was talking about earlier in the show about kind of the vibe in camp. I think what Liam said is worth talking about. I also think it's worth looking at how the White Sox have very clearly efforted to turn that page. And I, I think we will see that brand new page beginning to be scribbled on here in Cactus League play. Speaking of, we got a ball game coming up in just a little bit. White Sox Mariners get started at 2 of 5. 2 o'clock, Len Casper and Darren Jackson take over. But we got more White Sox weekly before that. I'm Connor McKnight. It's ESPN 1000. We are talking White Sox. This is White Sox Weekly. If you missed the show, we put the podcast up on the ESPN Chicago app. So listen on your time. White, White Sox, Sox weekly. weekly. ESPN Chicago. Chicago's home for sports. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000. I'm Connor McKnight. Sox fans, catch the action from a private diamond suite in 2024. Learn more about our different suite sizes and how you can host your closest friends and family with customizable food and beverage options next season, or this coming season, I should say. For more information, visit whitesox.com slash suites or call or text 312-674-1000. Uh, ended the last segment talking about an old friend found a new spot. Liam Hendricks has a new deal in Boston. We'll get to some of the things he said about the last era of White Sox baseball in just a little bit. Before we get to that, though, I did want to get to a couple of the injuries that the White Sox are dealing with and a roster move uh, that they've made here in the last couple of days. Unfortunately for John Brevia, he's got a calf injury. Now, I want to read you. The tweet that came out from, uh, well, it's Vinny Duber's work over at CHGO. Good guy, and he's got a great taste in beverages as well. Um, But Vinny tweeted a little bit about this injury. He tweets this, uh, and it was Friday afternoon, a couple hours before the game yesterday, where the White Sox lost to the Cubs 8-1. Vinny wrote, John Brebbia said he strained his calf walking back to the mound after moving toward first on a grounder during live BP the other day. He finished the live BP session and said his pitching is unaffected, even though he's otherwise in a boot and rolling around on a scooter. It's spring training. An abundance of caution is going to be a, uh, a watchword for a lot of camps. 
continuing the tweet, Brebbia didn't know exactly how long it'll be before he's pitching in spring games, but said trainers estimated a few weeks before he's back at full speed. Considering that he can still pitch, though, he's unsure if it would be that long before he's in games or not. So that's kind of interesting. You know, it. I would guess that they keep Brebbia out until that calf is is close to, if not completely fully healed. That's kind of the benefit of bringing in a guy like John Brebbia, a veteran who knows you know, what it takes physically for him to be on that mound and work in the way he wants to work. I certainly hope he's able to bounce back because with the way this White Sox bullpen looks right now, opportunities wide open throughout the whole leverage matrix, right? Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see Brebbia get some save opportunities if he's healthy and ready to go. He's a guy who's been there before and been able to do it. Um, I'm also very excited to see Prelander Baroa maybe work himself into those opportunities, but that's neither here nor there. We did not see Baroa work in the first game of spring against the Cubs, so I am uh, keeping your eyes peeled for that one. He's a big arm that the White Sox got back from the Mariners, who they'll play a little bit later on when they moved Gregory Santos over to Seattle, a guy whose scouting report really looks a lot like uh, the Gregory Santos scouting report. Anyway, back to Brebbia. Um, you know, he's... He's a funny guy. I, I had a chance to to meet him at media day, and and you know he sits down, and we're starting to talk and do the liners and everything like that. Hi, I'm John Brebbia, and you're listening to ESPN 1000 and whatnot. And we just goofed around a little bit afterward, and he looks at me, and goes, "So how was that? How'd it go?" And I said, "Ah, oh, you know, it's a nine, and just because I, I wanted to see what he said." And he goes, no 10. I can't get a 10 out of this. And I said, well, you know, some work to do. You're a baseball player, not a radio guy. It's absolutely fine. You know, I'm just pulling his chain. And he, he looked at me and genuinely wanted to know how he could get a better radio voice out of the liners. Um, and I gave him some nonsense pointers or what have you because it's not like pipes or my my forte. Uh, and he sat back down and wanted to start over again before White Sox staff had to be like, no, John, we have to move on. It's, it's media day. You have to get the pictures taken and do – all of the things that you have to do. Uh, and he seemed a little bit bummed about it. Obviously, you know, more bummed now that he you know, can't get into the, onto the mound and, and pitch the way he wants to because that's his actual calling in life. But I wouldn't be surprised at all if you, you know, four, five, six years from now, saw John Brebbia in a broadcast booth or something like that. I mean, just kind of lively personality, funny dude. Um, I hope he grows the beard out to the length that he has had it in other stops. Uh, he's, got a, he's got a good, healthy, kind of a, lumberjacky beard to him. Not now. It's a little more uh, shorn, a little trim. Uh, but hoping, here's hoping John Brebbia uh, gets healthy and ready to go. Uh, the White Sox did make a roster move. They put Matt Foster on the 60-day IL as he recovers from the Tommy John surgery that he had. And in a corresponding move, the White Sox signed, or rather claimed, outfielder Peyton Burdick off roster ravers, off waivers rather, from the Orioles. They DFA'd him earlier in the week. Uh, Burdick turns 27 on Monday. Righty hitter with some slugging percentage. Saw some big league work over the last two seasons in Miami. The Marlins traded him to the Orioles in early February for cash considerations. The Marlins had designated him as well. He's a former third-round pick, 38% strikeout rate in the major leagues, a lot of small sample stuff. Burdick hasn't gotten a whole lot of work in the bigs. I guess at this point, it's probably worth giving you uh, the entire body of work in the big leagues for Peyton Burdick. Six foot, 205, right-handed outfielder. Um, he played in 32 games for the Marlins in 2022 and 14 games for the Marlins in 2023. So it very much comes with the small sample size caveat. Low, a- low average. 
Power and plate discipline, though, in the major, uh, in, in the high minor leagues, and some of his AAA assignments. Um, but he does swing and miss quite a bit. It's kind of that, you know, power swing and miss profile that you see. I'm going to use the most extreme case of this because I think it helps, you know, center of a Joey Gallo kind of thing. And this just kind of increases the number of corner outfield opportunities that the White Sox have on their roster, right? If it is indeed. Andrew Benintendi, Luis Robert, and Dominic Fletcher kind of as your starting outfield in left, center, and right. Now you've got guys like Kevin Pillar, a longtime veteran, Oscar Colas, Zach Deloche, Gavin Sheets, Brett Phillips, and now Peyton Burdick all battling uh, for what I guess would be that fourth outfielder spot. It'll be really I mean, I think it'd be it's obviously very interesting to see how that last roster spot fills out. As spring goes on, it's a lot of conversation. We're going to spend the last, I don't know, five, ten days of camp. Oh, how's Pedro going to do this? How's he going to manipulate this roster? Who's going to be that 26th guy? You know, because your pitching's usually set, usually. And there's a lot of conversations on that side of things, too. The White Sox brought in Mike Moustakis late in camp. Moose is a third base, first base, DH only kind of guy at this point. I think second base is out of the mix for him now that the shift has been banned. He's that lefty pop that you would think is probably most directly battling Gavin Sheets for a roster spot. Gavin's still got an option. Moose has a deal that's going to pay him $2 million if he makes the major league roster. How does Peyton Burdick fit in all this? But it's important to remember that when we get to that point, and I'm going to lose my brain about it too because it's a fun completely baseball conversation, the kind of thing you nerd out about and really feel good about nerding out about is that when, when you get there and you go north with the 26 that you've got, that it's not going to be that 26 throughout the year. Remember that first, that last guy to get cut last season for the White Sox was Jake Berger, who rode an incredible hot streak into being traded to the Marlins, who helped out that team a ton in their route to the playoffs and is now, you know, kind of a, a corner piece for them, a cornerstone, I should say, for them. I'll go just play on the corner. Um, in, in terms of the power department, them having uh, the Marlins having said goodbye to Jorge Soler after he signed with the Giants just last week, maybe 10 days ago, something like that. So, you know, you never know what, what those cuts are going to look like. You never know how that's going to motivate a player. You never know necessarily how that is going to. You know, it opened them up to a change of approach or, you know, you send a guy down. I'm not sure that this is necessarily the case with Berger, but you send a guy down and you say, hey, listen, it, you know, it just it just has to be this. You got to get better on two strike decisions or your third base defense has to be better by going back on the ball instead of coming, whatever it happens to be. And that that cut, you know, that roster cut sometimes opens a guy's eyes where, not necessarily that a player could be stubborn, although sometimes that's the case, but it's more often a situation where a player trusts what they've been doing to get them to this spot in the first place. This, you know, almost unattainable, nearly major league assignment. And then, you know, he's sent down and go, boy, I got to, you know, I was so close. I was so close. What is it that I've got to do to get there? You get that certain, you know, advice or whatever it is. And then you start to make those changes. Uh, I'm not saying, again, I'm not saying that was necessarily the case with Jake last year, but that can be something that helps spur a player forward. And you see him pop up later in the season. And whether it's impacting the roster for a month or really making a name for himself 
and becoming a starting in the roster or on the pitching staff or what have you. Uh, that kind of stuff matters at that point in the decision-making process of spring training. Now, the other injury that I want to update you on, uh, left-hander Shane Drohan, a Rule 5 pick from the Red Sox organization, uh, has had some shoulder surgery. I believe that was either Thursday morning or Wednesday morning. It was Thursday morning. Drohan, again, Rule 5 guy, nerve decompression procedure in his left shoulder, his, his throwing shoulder. So the hope is that Shane's going to be able to throw, begin a throwing progression by the end of camp. So this isn't a super serious, although every time you hear shoulder, you, you start to, you know, you worry. Um, but from what I understand, it's going to depend on how the shoulder responds in the early stages as to whether, as to when he can begin kind of that ramping back up process and getting back to, to throwing at the end of camp. We haven't got a timeline for Johan's recovery at this point from the White Sox, although you can kind of rest assured he's going to begin the year on the injury list. Now, the way that works for a Rule 5 pick is, is that's essentially one of two places that Shane Johan can be. He can either be on the active roster or on the big league injured list. Anywhere else, he can't be optioned to the minors. Otherwise, that player needs to be offered back to his original team, I believe, for 50 grand. Yeah, yeah, 50 grand. It's, it's just a transactional kind of thing. Um, in order to then be released back to waivers or whatever it is. He, he has to be offered back to the Red Sox if you throw him back to the minor league. So that's not an option there. That's even if the White Sox decide that while on the injured list, they want to option him back down. You'd offer him back to the Red Sox, and the Red Sox either say yes or no. I believe that option still exists, even though Drohan would be on the major league injured list. So it's a tough break for Drohan, who is certainly going to get a chance to pitch in, I would guess, long relief. He's got a starting history in the minor leagues. Um, and really did well once he moved over to the bullpen uh, in 2023. Um, really kind of shaped up and, and got a changeup working really well that helped him as a left-hander be super effective against right-handers. So we'll, it's a wait and see for Shane Drohan. We'll have to just uh, wait for the White Sox to kind of announce a timeline for his return. Um, but those are the big injuries to guys that we figured would make or at least have a good chance at making the major league roster. Edgar Navarro has had Tommy John surgery. We saw him a little bit at the end of last season. And then one last roster situation that I wanted to update you on because we didn't have a chance to do it in yesterday or last week's show. Brian Shaw has returned to the White Sox. Uh, he's got a minor league invite. You figure he's going to make that major league bullpen, or at least I do. Um, but Brian Shaw signed like 20 minutes after we finished the show last Saturday, so we didn't get a chance to say it out loud here on White Sox Weekly, and that's what we do. We talk about the things the White Sox did. White Sox will play the Mariners in just a little bit. Len Casper and Darren Jackson have the call. Game's at 2.05, but we got a little bit of White Sox Weekly left. Before we get there, I'm Connor McKnight, and when we come back, We'll talk about Liam Hendricks' new spot and some of the things he said about last year's White Sox team before we officially turn the page. It's ESPN 1000. Follow Chicago's Home for Sports on Twitter at ESPN 1000. Welcome to White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. 1000. We 
are wrapping things up here on White Sox Weekly. I'm Connor McKnight. We've got a ball game coming up at 205. White Sox and Mariners with Len Casper and Darren Jackson on the call right at the top of the hour. You can be even closer to the action in 2024. Located directly behind home plate, the Wintrust Scout Seats offer access to our luxury club experience with all-inclusive food and beverage, in-seat service, and parking. For more information, visit whitesox.com slash scoutseats or call or text 312 312- Six seven four one thousand. Um, two things I wanted to get to here before we end the show, and that is Liam Hendricks' new deal. We said goodbye to Tim Anderson officially, having signed with the Miami Marlins for a one-year, five million dollar deal. And we'll do the same for Liam Hendricks. I think it's worth the time uh, because, after all, he was a big part of the White Sox over the last couple of seasons, and uh, is now moved on to the Red Sox. I also just we we, we need to talk about the uniforms. There have been, they've been showing, I guess, is probably a good way to say it. They've been showing up in a lot of places. And a lot of other things have been showing up in places you didn't expect to see them. Uh, And we'll work through it together because that's the only way we're going to get through this. Quickly, though, I wanted to mention a couple of things that Liam said uh, about last year's White Sox team as he was kind of introduced to Boston Red Sox reporters and got asked about things. He said, quote, We had too many guys pulling in different direction, too many cooks in the kitchen trying to fix what they thought was wrong, he said earlier this week. This is from a piece um, in the Chicago Sun-Times, actually. Steve Greenberg wrote up these quotes. There's a lot of type A people in a clubhouse, Liam said. You've got certain people thinking, this is the way it's got to go. That's the way it's got to go. Certain people want to fix something, so they just scream and yell until someone fixes it. There wasn't, honestly, enough positivity and eagerness to go out there and play on a daily basis. Um, some guys thought I was seeking too much attention, Liam said. But when you answer questions in a non-generic way, they tend to come to you a little bit more than them being reporters. And I'm not one to shy away from a conversation, whether it be uncomfortable, whether I'm going well, whether I'm going poorly. I want to be as transparent as I can because baseball is a very stoic man's sport. Liam continues, when I started being transparent, knowing what my flaws were and embracing them, that's when I started having success on the field and when I started having success away from the field. We're all human. And I want to make sure I remain true to myself. I want to make sure that I live as well uh, at the field as I do away from it. A couple of things here. One, the White Sox clubhouse last season obviously had some issues. They were addressed by then White Sox Sox general manager Rick Hahn. Guys were traded away from that team. And Hahn at the time said very clearly that we have begun to address our clubhouse issues as those players were traded away. I don't know whether or not, and I guess we never will, whether those are the only issues that they were looking to turn around. The White Sox have obviously, at the behest, or I guess at the leadership of Pedro Grafal, begun to work really hard on, on what it is to create a clubhouse that functions properly. I also think that when Liam talks about offering quotes a little bit differently than other players, or being honest in a way that, in his mind, other players aren't, He's absolutely right. And that's not to say that, you know, going out there and giving the baseball cliches like Nuke Lelouch learns from Crash Davis in the bus down in Bull Durham, that, that that's bad because those cliches, like Crash Davis said, they're there for a reason. They kind of do matter in a way, and they're a way we talk about this game. But I kind of like, in fact, I really like the way guys like Liam Hendricks and Tim Anderson in very different ways, have talked 
honestly about their opinions about this game from their perspectives. Because I think we learned that there are so many different actual perspectives within the game from players like that, and that that's very much worth talking about. And it's not every guy in a uniform operating from a standpoint of the old baseball, as Greenberg put it in this, stoicism, right? The old baseball axioms, the old baseball cliches. I'm very much into what the new era of baseball is going to look like and very willing um, to kind of let the past be the past and, and grow, I think, as this game is looking to grow. Now, mentioned that not everybody in a uniform feels necessarily this way, but everybody who's in a uniform right now seems to feel a little bit uncomfortable in it. I, I can't, it's not a controversy, and we talked some about it last week on the show, but now I've been down to spring training, I have seen these uniforms, and I told you I was going to reserve judgment on exactly how things look until I saw them in person, because sometimes, although a picture can say a thousand words, you need it to say a few thousand more, and when it's up close, it can. The uniforms look weird, guys. They, they do. They just they look weird. And I'll tell you, it's for me, it's the spacing of the last name on the back of the jersey, and it's the placement of the MLB logo. And I, you know, it's we could get into supply chain issues and cost cutting and whether it's Nike's fault or Fanatic's fault or MLB's fault or a combination of everything, whether the players should have spoken up earlier or whether we as broadcasters should have caught it and brought it up. I don't know. I'm sure there's a lot of blame to go around. I hope this gets fixed. Um, I, I know you've probably seen some of the memes, some of the more questionable photos from Photo Day about the you know the, the tails of the jerseys being able to be seen through the pants of the uniform. That's not a good look in a lot of situations, and I'm hoping it's because the flashes are bright. You can see you can see the the, the underwear these guys are wearing, the compression shorts these guys are wearing. You can read the labels. If their moms had written their names on the back of the shorts, you could see that through some of the pants. And that's just not it's not what you want. Now, Ben Lindbergh, who's one of my favorite baseball writers and podcasters out there, brought this up on his podcast, Effectively Wild, on a show early last week or in the middle of last week. It doesn't seem to play that way on TV, at least. Like when you watch the broadcast, when you're not watching John and Steve do their thing, you, you don't see this the way you did in the still shots, in the, um, in the media day photo sessions that we just had. But, you know, it, it does, it all looks different different. Uh, Lindsay Adler, who covers the Yankees, I believe, and and the rest of of Major League Baseball, she does some national reporting as well, but Adler uh, works primarily covering the Yankees. Um, She wrote a statement up from an MLB official. The statement read, the uniform pants have the same material and thickness as the uniform pants used last season. There were changes to the fabric of the jersey, not the pants like the design and sizing change, but not the material per the league. Um, Tony Clark, the MLB Players Association boss, has said this is a league and Nike dynamic, by which I think he means issue or work between the two of them, neither did or didn't get done. But suffice it to say, pros shouldn't look like, they shouldn't have this issue. This shouldn't be a thing. And yet it is, and here we are. I guess... All that to say, we've got about a month before the season starts, a little over a month. That is, I think, 
enough time if they want to, and it certainly sounds like the players want them to, want to go through this, work out the kinks in the issue, figure out the material that needs to be used, and redo this thing. Or find last year's pants and get them back out to everybody. Or last year's jerseys or whatever is going to be the quickest fix to this. I desperately don't want to see this continue to be an issue when we start the season because I don't want to have to deal with it. I don't want players to have to deal with it. I don't want this to be a conversation point. I want my old school uniforms back. All that from a guy who just told you he's writing for the cutting edge of the brand new player era of baseball, right? I want my old uniforms back. I guess sometimes you can have everything you want, and sometimes you just want everything that you had. That's going to do it for us here on White Sox Weekly. Len and DJ are coming up. So are the White Sox and Mariners, all right here on ESPN 1000. Enjoy the ball game.